Hey, SalesLift Nation, it's your host, Tyler Lindley. Today, I have Allie Rizakos on the podcast. Hey, Allie, how you doing today? Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Doing great. Allie Rizakos is the leadership coach and founder of Allie Rizakos Coaching. Allie, I'm, I think the audience is curious out there, who do you actually coach? Who do you help? Yeah, totally. I help leaders understand and defeat imposter syndrome so that they can step into being an authentic leader. Oh, interesting. So why imposter syndrome? Well, I guess it's two things. Why leadership and why imposter syndrome? Okay. So I'll start with the leadership part and then I'll talk about imposter syndrome. So on the leadership front, I've been a leader at big companies and small companies. I worked at Salesforce and I've worked at small startups. And no matter the size, what I found was there was never really a true leadership training program that you get put into from going from an individual contributor to becoming a leader. Mm -hmm. And now working with clients that are leaders, they tell me the exact same thing. So I'm like, oh, wow, this is a widespread challenge that everyone <laughs> is facing. Right. And there's a couple challenges with that, which is that we all know that name the percentage, it's definitely over 60%, but at least 60% of people leave their jobs because of their manager and either they a bad manager or a manager that just isn't providing any value. So why are we like taking this risk by not training our leaders properly and hoping for the best. So that's a huge challenge that I'm trying to solve in the market. And then on the imposter syndrome side is that I talk to these leaders and they all feel imposter syndrome because they don't have the training and because they don't have the support. They feel like they're just having to figure it out on their own and everyone else must have already figured it out. Otherwise I would have some kind of like training and support, <laughs> right? So it's kind of like double-edged sword where you're like setting people up to feel this kind of debilitating imposter syndrome, which obviously doesn't allow you to be your most powerful and empowered self. And so that's the other side of the challenge that I'm, that I'm also right. on a quest to solve. Perfect. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you mentioned 60% of folks leave their job because of their manager. Mm -hmm. That seems really high. Andy Paul just from Ring DNA, head of enablement there, he just posted an article about that. I've seen 50%, I've seen 60%. In that article, it says that people leave jobs because of the lack of opportunities presented to them to develop by their manager. Hmm. So you can interpret that as like, their manager didn't really provide any additional value right. to them other than just being their manager, asking for their forecast and whatnot. Do you think, is that the role of managers? Is it to find those opportunities for them to develop? Is that on the manager or is some of that on the actual employee or is that a shared responsibility? I think it's a bit of a shared responsibility, but I definitely think it is a responsibility of the leader because you got to think about the fact that your job as a leader is to motivate and empower your team. And I don't know about you, but everyone I talk to that is wanting to further their career is driven by growth, yep. right? And so if people are in a job where they don't feel like growth is an option or they don't feel that there are other opportunities to grow themselves personally, professionally, then they feel like, what am I doing here? I'm mm -hmm. wasting my time. So I think it is on the manager because a manager's job is obviously to create really good talent and retain that okay. good talent. So it's twofold. If you're presenting more opportunities for your 
team to grow, you're obviously growing their talent, right? You're growing their skills. And then if you're a really good manager that they love to work with because you've given them these awesome opportunities and they feel so grateful that they've grown, they'll want to stay. So I do think it's a uh, responsibility of the Based on some of those numbers, obviously these, especially managers thrust into these roles, they're not doing a great job of these things. Like they're probably- 60%, yeah. Right, at least half are failing. They're failing to provide that culture of learning and growth and development and empowering their people so that they can create and retain good talent. So how do we solve for that? Should every new manager go get an outsourced leadership coach? Or is it, do these companies need to do a better job of training them internally and making that transition from individual contributor to manager easier? Like where is the process breaking down? Yeah, I I think there's a couple places that it's breaking down and a couple solutions because I I don't think, obviously I'm pretty biased. I'm obviously (laughs) going to say that everyone should have a coach, but that's because it works for me personally. I was at Salesforce when I first became a leader and of course Salesforce has some leadership training. I should speak, this was like seven years ago. So now it's different, but seven years ago, there wasn't like a path. Like it wasn't like Hmm. in month one, you do this. And in month two, you do this. And it was, here's a vague framework and here's like a mentor. And there's obviously a million resources at Salesforce. So like you can figure it out basically. And, And of course we can take other, they give us like all these opportunities for other trainings and whatnot, but you're not put into a program specifically yep. to become a leader. We do like a two-day training maybe, but as we all know, this is so this is the other point about training. As we all know, we all forget everything that we've ever learned about <laughs> training, right? Like you use it for a week and you're like, I'm the best manager ever. And then two weeks later, you're like, what was that thing that I was supposed yeah. to be doing, right? And so like every training that we've ever done, sorry to like the sales trainers out there, but you, you forget like 90% of it. And it makes everyone feel good that they're like, paying for training and that they're training their reps. And I was in enablement. So like, I get it, right? That was my job. But I've just seen, because I've been on both sides, I've been on the sales leader side and I've been on the enablement side and I'm a coach. So I've seen like the trifecta of all these things. Yes, training can work, but any training is only going to resonate with like maybe 20% of the group Mm -hmm. that are like really into growth and development and really psyched about their job and really want to do better. The other 80% are like phoning it. They're just like not interested. They're not going to, maybe they're listening, but they're not going to implement it. And if you don't implement it right away, it doesn't become a real skill. So for me, why I think it needs to be a mix of both training and coaching because training, yes, will get you tactical skills obviously product training, training on the sales process, that needs to happen. But it needs to be reinforced and coupled with coaching because coaching is a long-term strategy, Hmm. whereas training is a moment in time. Should we be asking these sales managers, should we be training them to be both, both trainers and coaches? In your mind, what is the role of that frontline sales manager? Is it both? Should it skew one towards the other? Yeah, and I think it depends on how big your company is and how much money they have, right? Because hopefully you would have enough money to have an enablement team Mm -hmm. who can take charge of a lot of that training. Because as I just went through it, it is a lot of time to build these trainings that are actually going to resonate and build follow-up courses and just follow-up activities so that it actually like ingrains in in their minds. Like it's obviously a full-time job. That's why enablement exists. So if a manager was responsible for all of training and all of coaching, that's exactly the issue is that they have no time to do any of it, right? Because, oh, and then they also have the job, which is to help their 
reps close deals. So, right. <laughs> you know, like which one do you pick when your leader's like, hey, what's your forecast and how much are you bringing in? You're obviously going to fixate and focus on the revenue part and not these other things. Yep. And that's, I think, part of the problem is that we've put so much on leaders and we've given them so much data and they get lost in the data and they get lost in forecasting and lost in the deals and whatnot and often forget about the human behind these deals. Without the human, you don't have a deal. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think that 60% of people leave their jobs is because their managers are too bogged down by these kind of numbers and data and deals yep. that they're not focused actually on the human behind it that wants to grow, mm-hmm. you know, and wants to learn and wants to get promoted at some point or wants to become a leader themselves, mm-hmm. right? They want to understand what it really takes to be a leader. And if they're not getting a good example of it from their leader, they start to doubt, mm, is this really for me? I don't really want to be that kind of leader. Yep, exactly. Totally agree with your point about the data. I feel like there is so much data now that's managers have all of this data at their fingertips that they can use to guide their management and use to say, hey, this is where you're falling short. It's specifically here and we need to get this ACV up and we need to shorten this sales cycle. And then this is how we compare to the other team or, or whatever. And there's all of this data and that's what they're naturally drawn towards because likely that's what their directors are talking about, right? Their VPs are living in the data. Therefore, the managers live in the data. Therefore, the frontline rep ends up living in the data and being all of their decisions are driven by the data, which is good. Data is a great thing. I think data can indicate the directions of like where we're falling short and where we can improve and where should we point coaching towards, but it can't be done at the expense of forgetting, like you said, about the human and forgetting about their personal development and their growth, which I think always gets put on the back burner. Like, oh great, yeah, you wanna change roles within the company? Yeah, we'll get to that, perfect. So before, let's talk about this month's forecast and what are we looking like for the next two weeks because we've got a big end of quarter coming up. So we'll get to that growth and development, exactly. And then the next month start, hey, we're back to zero, here we go again. So it's like, when does this growth and development happen? Exactly. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. And the other thing about data, like I agree, listen, I loved data too because it can, really help you make quick decisions yes. and help you help your reps really quickly. What two quick examples, like whenever my reps were not closing deals or whatever, the first thing I looked at was where are they making their calls? So we used to tier our accounts at Salesforce. A tier one account is like the best account and mm-hmm. the tier three is you don't see a lot of opportunity there. Yep. And so I would look at where are they making those calls. And if a lot of their, if 60% of their calls were calling two or three accounts, I'm like, there's your problem right away. I don't need to have a four and a half hour conversation with you to figure out what the deal is. Like I already know. So it obviously it's super, super helpful. But my second example is what's the data point on when someone has a death in the family, when someone gets a divorce, that there's no data points on that. There's a typically a dip in someone's data. And it's not because they started calling the wrong people or whatever it is. It's because there's a human behind Mm -hmm. that data point and something's happening to that human. And if we're so focused on data and so focused on revenue and so focused on performance at the expense of caring about the person behind it, your performance isn't really going to, it's not going to be where you want it to be because Mm -hmm. you're forgetting that you don't have performance unless you have people that trust you and want to work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up the concept of trust there, which I think is maybe the most important thing in that relationship between frontline sales rep and frontline sales manager, like trust in any relationship where you've got you and your manager, regardless of what your role is, but especially in sales, 
that trust goes a long way, right? It goes a long way to keeping the people there and not having them churn as well as keeping them happy. So how can a new manager build that trust? Like how can you build a culture of trust and how can those managers make sure that is a key component of their relationships? Mm -hmm. Maybe instead of answering this question, I'm going to ask you a question to maybe prove what I was going to say. Okay. But think about a leader, like your favorite leader that you've ever worked for, Mm -hmm. right? The person that you're like, wherever they go, I would consider working there again. Like I will go with that type of thing. What is it? Like, what's the one thing about that leader that makes them that leader in your head? Oh, it was definitely the trust. I felt like they had my back. Exactly. I felt like they had my back in all situations, good, bad, ugly. I felt like they had my back. And so I was willing to go to bat for them and for the company because I knew they were going to go to bat for me. Exactly. Yeah. Usually people say they gave an S about me. You know what I mean? I don't know if we can swear <laughs> yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you can. <laughs> yeah. They give a shit about it, literally. And I've asked this question to every single person that I've coached and across the board. And it's always, they gave a shit about me. Yep. And when you strip that down to what they're really saying is I trusted them and they trusted me. Yep. And so your question is, how do you build this trust? I just read, I'm a huge Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. Fan girl. Yeah. <laughs> I will call myself that. I just read his book, The Infinite Game. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend to your audience. Absolutely read it. And one of his principles of being an, an infinite minded leader is I think it's the first principle. Actually, it's the second, but is creating trusting teams. Mm-hmm. Without that, you could not be a fantastic leader or an infinite minded one. Yep. And how you do that is you actually spend time listening to, speaking with, caring about, getting to know your Mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. He was giving examples from police force Hmm. where the police officers, there was not not a lot of like collaboration, not a lot of trust. The community didn't really trust them either. And it was because the leader focused on, and this is like a specific example, but the leader focused on performance Mm -hmm. over anything else. How many tickets are you issuing? We need, we have a quota. Go write some tickets. And the police police officers felt that they didn't really care about that. They just cared about the number. I'm just a number. I just produce things. So this new sergeant came into leadership. And the first thing he did was literally sit down with every single one of the police officers and talk to them as a human. And do you have a family? Are you married? What's going on? You know what I mean? And just built trust. Because what Simon Sinek always talks about is that trust is built like in, be- in these little moments of like in between a meeting when you're like walking back to your desk and you learn about someone's dad is unfortunately in the hospital and yep. you obviously have sympathy and empathy for them and then they can feel that. And then when you see them the next day, you say, hey, by the way, how's your dad doing? Yep. Like those little things. And you're like, oh my God, like I feel like that person cares, yep. you know? Yep. So it, it is like as simple as that really, right? Like just actually caring and not overemphasizing and the your performance over the human behind it. Right. When you just focus on... Oh, there's another amazing example. I'm sorry if I'm rambling, but one last example that I think explains this perfectly. Wells Fargo, back in 20... Anyways, there's like a long period of time where the sales reps at Wells Fargo were creating fake bank accounts hmm. because their leadership team at the time only cared about results to the point that people were like, I guess I will commit fraud (laughs) 
to <laughs> be accepted in yeah. this environment and right. be rewarded, right? Millions and millions of these fraudulent accounts were created under mm-hmm. people's names and they would right. get these like notifications. And like, oh, well. Anyways, it was obviously found out they had to fire 5,300 employees that wow. were all complicit in this act because their leadership team cared more about performance and metrics than anything else. Yeah. That's what you run the risk of. People just being like, well, if that's all they care about, then I guess I'll just go about this in any way I need to hit my metrics because that's all that I'm being evaluated against or care right. about, right? Right, exactly. It's such a tough balance though. I feel like especially for these managers who maybe it's their first time being a manager or they or they never just had any formal training on leading people. And then the culture and the environment is so numbers and data-driven. And where are we right now in terms of the, our quotas? How do you build empathy into that? How do you build trust into that? It sounds easy. Oh, just go have a conversation with them. But I feel like in practice, it's not as easy. It's not as easy when really that manager wants to focus on exactly what their director is telling them to focus on, which is activity and quota and metrics and data and how are we going to improve and how is this going to impact the bottom line and then results at all costs. How do we balance like that with empathy? What sticks out to me there is that you, your leadership is one thing, but who you work for is equally as important, right? And Mm. so if your leadership team only cares about you, and your metrics and not you as a person and the people on your team, it's going to be pretty hard for you to be an amazing leader because unfortunately you're in this environment where even if you were an amazing leader, it probably wouldn't be recognized because my belief is that if you focus on your people, they will perform at a really high standard. So you probably will be performing, but you will be rewarded for the wrong things, right? No one's going to reward you for creating a team that loves each other and trusts each other and has their back. They're going to reward you for hitting quota. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So your brain starts to be like, well, do I keep doing these things? Because no one's caring that I'm doing them. They're just caring about my number. So then you start to fall into kind of this like crappy leadership too. Yeah. Because that's what is being asked of you. So what I always tell people when they're interviewing for jobs or looking for a new job is you got to interview the leadership team. Yep. Because if you're working for a company that over indexes on performance over anything else, you're going to be in a pretty Exactly. It's going to be tough for you to succeed no matter what. The CEO's philosophy, not just on their website, like not just quality and customer service, whatever. (laughs) Truly, what do they care about? When you talk to them, do you feel like they have an interest in you or are they just phoning in this conversation because they got other stuff to do, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's usually a top-down approach then, is what you're saying. This starts from the top. And if you're on the wrong boat, then... Maybe you shouldn't be a leader there. Yeah, exactly. You got to find a different boat before you can excel as a leader because the leadership usually flows down and we mirror the leaders that we report to and they mirror the leaders that they report to. If the leadership at the top is strong, it should be strong all the way throughout. And that should just make it easier to succeed as a new leader with or without a formal program or management training. Like Just a culture like that makes it easier to succeed. Pair that with a formal structure to getting those leadership skills. And that's probably a great recipe for success if you have both of those things, which is probably extremely rare, but in an ideal world, you probably want both. And this is why you hear about leadership and executive coaches all the time is because it starts from the top. Of course, as as a rep, I had a coach and then obviously as a leader, I had a coach too, but like, it, like you said, it flows downstream. So if you start at the bottom, it's going to be pretty hard to roll that stone up, up the hill. So you got to start from the top. And so- right. As that's why I, I emphasize this authentic leadership, which 
it feels fluffy a bit, that word, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but what I, what I guess what I think about, I had a conversation with uh, a mentor of mine and he told me like the, the word that defines leadership is authentic. And I said, what does that mean? He's like, I'm not being fake. And I'm like, well, how do you not be fake? Yeah. Right. And he's just like, Hmm. And he like was a bit stumped to me. The, the authentic piece is that you understand who you are. You understand what your values are and that everyone else understands them as well. Right. Yeah. Like everyone understands the vision that you're going after and this vision that you're creating, going back to Simon Sinek, the first principle in, the, in his infinite game book is having a just cause. So having a cause that people are like, Oh my God, I will fight till the end to make this a reality, to yeah. make this world that you're dreaming about an actual reality when your just cause is growth. Like how does that exist? Exactly. Why do I care about that growth? Yeah. 30% year over year. Cool. Oh, yeah. like, well, I, I don't like, who am I helping? Yeah. Like, what, what, what's different about the world that I live in? If I grow this, I help grow this company 30% year over year. Yeah. That authentic piece is like getting an understanding of who you are, what you value and creating a just cause so that you can create an amazing company of amazing people yeah. that are like, I will fight till the end to make this a reality. Yeah, exactly. Allie, great conversation today. How can my listeners find you online if they want to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. Check me out on LinkedIn. My kind of unique URL is just Ali Rizakos, A-L-L-I-R-I-Z-A-C-O-S. I wanted to say Z because I'm Canadian. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, check me out online. I, I put out content almost every day and all about this topic. Perfect. That sounds awesome. We will link to that in the show notes. Definitely connect with Allie if you have any questions or want to follow up with her. And she's uh, definitely connect with her on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Allie, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Tyler. This was fun. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas, plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.